Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you here in person, downstairs, upstairs. Oh, still no sound. And perhaps if you're watching online. Yes, my name is Liz. I'm one of the leadership team here at Midgenhampton Baptist Church. And it's my privilege to speak to you this morning. And this is the first of three talks that will concentrate on women in the New Testament, uh, who were only mentioned very, very briefly. And the ones we're looking at this morning are Eunice and Lois, respectively a mother and a grandmother. So I am qualified to speak about those two, since I have three children, we have three children, and five grandchildren. So, oops, display off, right, okay. We have some new technology here, which we're getting used to. But I thought, first of all, after a week in which so much has happened, it was good that we were able to focus a little bit this morning on the person of the late Queen Elizabeth II, an amazing woman, an amazing example, and a woman of faith, I think, whose sudden and unexpected passing will leave a big gap for many of us. Not necessarily because she was the sovereign, but because she was a woman of great principle and of faith. So this morning, we are looking at these two women, Eunice and Lois, and first of all, we're going to think about what we know about these two women, a little bit about their background, the type of women they must have been. We're going to think about the impact they then had on Timothy, a character in the New Testament who features in two of the letters written by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to think about what principles we, as individuals, can draw from this brief reference to them and other references which I will be sharing with you. I recognise that looking around the room, certainly not everybody is a mother, <laughs> not everybody is a grandmother, and nonetheless, I think that for each one of us here, as part of a church family in particular, we can think about the principles that we need to be aware of. So, what can we learn from these women? Well, let's look first of all at the Bible passage. And this is taken from the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. We know that this epistle was probably the last one that Paul wrote from prison in about AD 67 when the Roman emperor, Nero, was descending into madness and life was pretty chaotic. And we know that these two women were godly women who each influenced the next generation. If you think about it, Lois was the grandmother of Timothy, Eunice was his mother, and so obviously Lois had passed on something quite significant to Eunice, who then passed it on to her son, Timothy. And we know that they had converted from Judaism, from the Jewish faith, to Christianity. 
And Eunice had married a Greek who was presumably not a believer. And we discover that they lived in a place called Lystra. And what is interesting here is that Timothy obviously had a spirit of trust and real warmth and acknowledgement of what his mother and grandmother had passed on to him. Because in this passage here, it says, continuing what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And I think that actually says something to us, because, I mean, I learned lots of things from people I have done over the course of my life, and an awful lot of them I've discarded because I really didn't think they were worth hanging on to for one reason or another. So it is perfectly possible to learn things from people, but because of the nature of the people who have taught it to you, you tend to dis disregard it. But this tells us that these two women obviously had a really good relationship with son and grandson, and he trusted what had been passed on to him. And it's also interesting to note that we discover that he had learnt the scriptures, which of course would have been the equivalent of our Old Testament, from infancy. So obviously these women had invested a lot of time and energy in teaching the scriptures and the principles contained there, not just as presumably dry bits of history that they expected him to take on board and react to, but as something living as a principle that he could adopt for the way of life that he would take on. And, of course, ultimately, they have obviously introduced him to Jesus. He has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. I don't know if you recognize that picture. Some of you may have seen it somewhere. Anybody know who that is? <laughs> Probably not. It's not particularly... It is, yes, it is in fact Susanna Wesley, who was the mother, of course, of John and Charles Wesley. And just look at this, what John Wesley said about his mother. I learned more about Christianity from my mother. Unfortunately, I can now see neither screen. <laughs> it's all right, I've got it here. Than from all the theologians in England. That was Susanna Wesley. And she never preached a sermon, she never published any books, or founded a church, but she's known as the mother of Methodism, because in fact, through John Wesley, of course, that is how Methodism came into being, and of course, Charles wrote a number of the older hymns that we do sometimes sing here. But obviously, consciously or unconsciously, John had absorbed and applied the example, the teaching, and the circumstances of their home life. So with these two women, we have a lot of evidence of the investment that they had made in son and grandson, respectively, and indeed, in Lois's case, with Eunice, her daughter, in the first instance, who was then able to pass it on. So if we're able to get it back, we'll go on to what the impact is on Timothy and what we know about his character. Well, I can quote some verses to you. Don't worry at the back, we'll keep going, we're okay. 
In the book of Acts, chapter 16 and verse 2, we learn that the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Now, Lystra was his hometown, and to be spoken well of in your hometown is actually quite something. If you remember Jesus' words, you know, a prophet is without honour <laughs> in their own, uh, thank you, in their own hometown. It's interesting that Timothy was obviously somebody who was highly regarded, and yet we know that he was a young man. And look what Paul says about him. He calls him a man of God, my true son in the faith. That's quite some recommendation, isn't it? Now, Paul, of course, did not have children of his own, as far as we are aware, but he recognizes in Timothy a son in the faith. He perceived him as a force for good, and he trained him. They'd met on the second missionary journey. In fact, Paul chose to take Timothy with him rather than John Mark. If you remember, there was a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, and obviously Paul preferred Timothy as somebody who was considered to be a steady character, who had a good knowledge of the scriptures, who was somebody that he wanted to have with him. We know a few other things about him. He may have been quite a timid and perhaps not a very healthy character. This verse often gets quoted as a reason for people to um, enjoy a nice bottle. But obviously, there was occasion when Timothy was unwell by the sound of it, and he might have frequently been unwell from what we see there. And Paul encourages him. He says, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So these are qualities, obviously, that are latent in Timothy and perhaps need to be brought out, but they are nonetheless there in the background. And also, of course, we do know that he was young because Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So again, there's a reference to his upbringing there. We're not all parents, but we can all have an influence on the next generation. I'm so glad that Scott prayed for our young people this morning. We all, as part of a church family, even if we don't have children of our own, can have adopted children, just as the Apostle Paul did there, that we can pray for. If you point out these things to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So let's think about what principles we can draw out of this. So we've started with just a very, very brief reference to two women who nevertheless had an enormous impact in each case because of their faithful understanding of how to teach and model the truths to the next generation. So the principles... If we go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy, which is quite a hard read, I can tell you, but if you look there, there are some real nuggets of wisdom for us. 
These commandments that I give you today, this is the Lord speaking to the children of Israel, are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. So what does the Bible teach us about intergenerational influence and leaving a legacy? Well, I think there is the importance of actually teaching scripture to our children. In my youth, I was made to memorize huge passages of the Bible. I resented it at the time, but you know, now I am so thankful because things come back to me at moments in the old King James Version, because that's how I learned them, but I can adapt them for modern use. But I am so thankful for that deposit of scripture that was given to me in my youth. And one of the things, of course, this presupposes is that those of us who are the older generation, it does presuppose that we do actually know the scriptures ourselves and we know where to find things in the Bible to help the next generation. And I feel very challenged about that because it's something that we cannot take for granted. But let's move on from just that knowledge, that sort of information side of it, to the example that this is setting for us. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, what does that tell us? It's life. It's not a preach. It's not a sitting your children down necessarily to have a serious talk with them, as parents always dread when they have to explain sex to their children. It's, it's not that. It's how I go about my life on a daily basis. And again, I'm going to stretch a point and say this doesn't just apply to parents. This applies to all of us as adults. What do children see us do? Do they see us living in dependence on God? Do they see us thanking God for what he's done in our lives? Do they see us bringing our requests to God in prayer? Well, it's great if the children are in when we lead our intercessions. It's good to recognize that praying for our world our closer connections, our own families. It's important, depending on God. But this is conversation. This is everyday stuff. And it's repeated again in other passages in Deuteronomy as well. And just a little note here, a bit of background. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Well, you may have seen pictures like this. Tef tefillin is apparently the name for the binding on your arms. I didn't know that. I had to look it up. I googled it. And the phylactery is the scriptures contained in a little box which were worn on their heads in the time of the Old Testament. That was how Jews remembered to keep the scriptures as an important part of their everyday life. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of us would particularly want to go around looking like that. But what about fridge magnets? Now, you might think that's a strange thing to talk about. I don't know about your children or your grandchildren, but fridges are a funny thing when you've got families together. You go to bed at night and you think they're full. You get up in the morning, <laughs> it's all gone. Milk always disappears. Bread, 
other things from other parts of the house. But I think the fridge is quite an interesting place within a household. Um, it's sometimes said that, you know, a family is a group of people who share a fridge. Well, yeah, they possibly do. Let's hope that we share more than that. But have you thought about having things around the house, those of us who are parents, where children regularly see reminders of God's goodness and God's love for us? Just a thought. There's another reminder, again, from another passage in Deuteronomy. Be on your guard, diligently watch yourselves so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. We sang about God's faithfulness earlier. We worship the God who was, we worship the God who is. We have a God who does amazing things. Sometimes they're just little things, sometimes they're really big things. But let's share them with the next generation. Let's tell them when we've had answers to prayer. Active, intentional sharing. Reminders of what God has done. Giving thanks for answered prayers. Now, just a word of caution here. Many of us will have looked at that verse and perhaps our hearts have failed us because we have seen evidence of faith being shared and then it goes to nothing. Scott again reminded us about the fact that so many young people, having had a lot of input, maybe in the family home, but also in the local church where they've been part of a youth group, when they leave home, it can all just dissipate. It's really important that we do actually pray for our young people. And just to elaborate a little bit on that, I think here we have the importance not just of family, but if you don't personally have any children and you're listening to what I'm saying, you probably have friends who do. You may be an uncle or an aunt. You may be a godparent. Let's take these roles seriously. Let's ask God for the strength to carry these things out well as we see evidenced in the life of people like Eunice and Lois. This verse is also quite important, I think. <laughs> I like this one. Fathers and mothers, I think, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the message puts it like this. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Taking somebody by the hand is being sort of alongside them, isn't it? It's not standing in front of them and pointing the finger and saying, this is how you have to behave. And some of you will have heard, no doubt, of sticky faith. Is that meaningful to some of you here? Yeah, I see some people nodding. Five adults not directly related to a young person is the recommended number for having a good impact on a young person's faith. Five adults not directly related. 
Now, that tells us something about being in a church family. It really does. You can Google Sticky Faith to find out a bit more about it, but there are just a couple of things I want to mention this morning in our relationship with how we share our faith with this next generation, who for some of us, let's face it, are just like aliens. I I do not understand half our grandchildren's vocabulary, for a start. Something is sick. To me, that means I need to be praying for their recovery. They think it's fantastic. Complete opposite of meaning. But two things. First of all, shift, this is Sticky Faith's advice, shift from a behaviour-based gospel to a grace-based gospel. In other words, the research found that most young people, or many of them, have the impression that the gospel is all about obeying rules. And believe me, that was certainly my experience as a young person. And it wasn't just what I should do, it was largely what I shouldn't do. Which didn't leave me much scope for manoeuvre. And I obviously kicked over the traces quite considerably. So when they fall short of these rules, they throw it all away. Baby in bathwater. I can't keep these rules, they're impossible. And the second thing is quite an interesting one. How about this? Shift from a dry cleaner view of parenting. Now, let me unpack that a bit, because that sounds a bit odd. This is what the research actually says, and I'm quoting here. I wonder how many parents drop their children or young people off at a church group and then expect to collect a fully cleaned and ironed perfect Christian at the end. Get it? Dry cleaners. Danny is not our resident dry cleaner, nor is the team of people who support him in this work. Parents are the primary spiritual carers. There's no doubt about that. We are the ones who spend the most time with our children. And we need to help them to understand the gospel. Creating space in the home to talk about faith, read the Bible, discuss doubts and answer tricky questions that you might not know the answer to. And what's wrong with a bit of humility? Hey, I don't know the answer to this. I can't explain to anybody why that verse, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when they're old they won't depart from it, doesn't always work out, or certainly doesn't appear to. I can't explain that. But this is the verse we need to hang on to. I think this is really important. Parents, let's start with ourselves, knowing scripture, demonstrating a life of prayer and dependence on God. All of us, let's get to know the children and young people here in our own church. Let's pray for them. Some years ago, and I've been discussing doing this again with Danny, we had photos of all the young people in the church with their name and their date of birth, and all of us as adults were invited to take one of those pictures, or more of them, and pray for those young people. Get to know them, find out what they're up to. I can say that's actually been a great blessing to Peter and me as we have done that over the years. 
and I would recommend it to all of us that we get to know these people. When I left home to go to university, I was not in a particularly good place with God. For a start, I was fed up with Peter because he'd gone off to do the Lord's work in France for two years, which didn't please me at all. I went off to study French. He came home from France. I was sent out to France, so we had a rather protracted relationship. It didn't work as well as it perhaps should have done in those first years. But I had a lady in my home church, the Brethren Assembly in Reading. I didn't know her particularly well, but that lady prayed for me every day. And I believe that made a difference to the way my life turned out. And don't give up. We have three children. One was baptised here. One was baptised in Bedford. Yes, in Bedford, when he was doing a course at Cranfield. The third one took a very scenic route back to faith. Very scenic. But he was baptised in a swimming pool in Oxford. He is now a worship leader in his church. That worked out. It doesn't always, I have to say, and we have to be honest about this, but let us keep in mind God's grace in all of this. We worship an almighty God. We've been singing about him this morning. Let's remember, and so that we can say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This was the third letter written by the Apostle John. And maybe we can change it. We have no greater joy as a church family than to hear that our children are walking in the truth. May God give us the grace to interact well with the next generation, to have a good grasp of the gospel that we can share in meaningful, relevant, and authentic ways with them. Amen.